Now that Barack Obama's tenure as president is coming to an end, the great man is beginning to wax philosophical. For example, in Wired magazine, the president has written an article in which he says, quote, right now is the greatest time to be alive, unquote. And isn't that just so true? Right now is the greatest time to be alive because a person who isn't alive right now is dead. And being dead is worse than being alive because worms eat you and you can't get HBO. Some people who aren't alive right now have never even been born, and that's a terrible thing because you have to hang around waiting for your parents to have sex, which, let's face it, is disgusting even to contemplate. Then for nine months, you're stuck inside your mother listening to her complain about how you're making her life miserable, and you can't even get outside to show her just how miserable you can really make her when given half a chance. Plus, at any moment, some psychopath from Planned Parenthood might start ripping you to pieces and selling your body parts, whereupon the whole great time to be alive thing becomes sort of a moot point. In another philosophical moment, President Obama told an innovation conference that he wants to rein in what he called the wild, wild West media. All this freedom of information has gotten out of hand, the president said. Any crank with a conspiracy theory can run around telling people that I used the IRS to target conservative groups or corrupted the Justice Department for political purposes or was born in Kenya. It's absurd. I was born in Hawaii. This madness has got to stop. It's not just the president who's grown reflective. The media are also taking time to discuss what a great, great leader Obama has been. In an article in the New York Times, a former newspaper, opinion editor Blithering Prevarication III writes, quote, Some people look around and see Obamacare collapsing and the United States growing weaker and the world growing more dangerous and an overregulated and overtaxed economy propped up by printed money and free credit in such a way that can only lead to a complete disaster. But pessimists like that are only looking at reality. They should read our paper instead. None of those things is happening here, and it's right here in these pages that Barack Obama is one of the greatest presidents who has ever lived. The Times' objective journalism editor, Blithering Prevarication III, no relation, agrees with the opinion editor, who's a totally different person, just with a similar-sounding name. Mr. Third says, quote, This is a country steeped in racism, so it was a great day when we elected a black president to tell us how steeped in racism we are. Soon we'll have a woman president to tell us how steeped in sexism we are, and won't that be fun? President Obama is so right, this is a great time to be a liar. Or alive. Whatever. Unquote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. I, I never get tired of watching the naked feminist turn into a housewife with cupcakes. It should happen more often in real life. All right, tomorrow is mailbag day. Oh, my goodness. <coughs> Pardon me. Tomorrow is mailbag day. Let's hear a woohoo. Come on. Woohoo. Yay. <laughs> Bring back Lindsay. Where's Lindsay? Yeah, <laughs> All right. Uh, so send in your questions 
uh, right now, if you're a subscriber, if you're not a subscriber, you can only sit there kind of looking longingly at the screen, a wistful look in your face as the questions pile up in your mind until your entire life is just one long stream of confusion and irritation. But if you are a subscriber, you can not only watch the show and not get kicked off Facebook and YouTube after 15 minutes, you can send in questions. We will answer them all. Guaranteed our answers are 100% accurate and 99.5% guaranteed to change your life for the better. All right, so let me do, I've been working on this all day yesterday. Let me, I'm now, I don't do a lot of imitations, a lot of impersonations. I, I can do a few voices, but not really impersonations. But here's my impersonation of the mainstream media covering the new evidence of corruption in the Clinton campaign. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I got it, I think I just got it exactly right. So, so Donald Trump, is saying the election is rigged and people on the right are going crazy about this for reasons I will explain. But first, let's listen to Donald Trump. You know, let, let's let's get it clear. He's saying this because the polls show him to be losing. I think he is now 1,100 points behind everywhere. <laughs> like Sean Hannity is reading tea leaves and saying, well, in the battleground states, you know, he's very close. And you think, yeah, because they're battleground states. It's everywhere else he's losing. He's losing state. He's, he's losing Utah. Yeah, he's losing Utah where they, they once saw a Democrat go flying by through Salt Lake City. All right, so he's losing. So he's, now he's doing just what he did, remember, when he thought he was losing in the primaries. He started saying the election is rigged, and now he's saying it again. Here he is. Hillary Clinton should have been prosecuted and gone to jail for what she did. Instead of being held accountable, Hillary is running for president in what looks like to many people a totally rigged election. The election is being rigged by corrupt media pushing false allegations and outright lies in an effort to elect Hillary Clinton, president. But we are going to stop it. We are not going to back down. False stories, all made up. Lies, lies. No witnesses, no nothing. All big lies. It's a rigged system. Okay, so the, the right is upset about this because they fear that it could end the Republican Party, basically. I mean, if, if he loses, especially if he loses in a close election, which right now doesn't look like it's going to happen, but if, even if he loses by a fair margin and he says this is all rigged, then he marches off with his supporters, leaving the GOP behind. And this is what Republicans are worried about. But there are also philosophical issues. Brett Stevens, who is a never-Trumper, he writes a brutal column this morning, I mean, a really brutal column, comparing Donald Trump to, to Joseph McCarthy. I don't know what it is about Donald Trump, like people reach for these, you know, really go out there for the comparisons. But listen, listen to this opening of this Brett Stevens column. They meet in secret, men of immense wealth, a woman of limitless ambition. Their passports are American, but their loyalties are not. Through their control of international banks and the media, they manipulate public opinion and finance political deceit. Their aim is nothing less than the annihilation of America's political independence, and they will stop at nothing, including rigging a presidential election, to achieve it. Call it for what it is, quote, a conspiracy on a scale so immense as to dwarf any previous venture in the history of man, unquote. 
Astute readers will note the quotation of a speech delivered in the U.S. Senate in June 1951 by the then junior senator from Wisconsin, where in historically familiar territory, Joe McCarthy invaded against communists in control of the State Department. For Charles Lindbergh, it was war agitators, notably those of the Jewish race. And now we have Donald Trump versus what Laura Ingram calls the globalist cabal, the latest enemy from without within. In a speech Thursday in West Palm Beach, the GOP presidential nominee painted a picture of a global power structure centered around Hillary Clinton that aims to, quote, plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty, unquote, while stepping on the necks of American workers with open borders and ruinous trade deals. There is nothing the political establishment will not do, Mr. Trump thundered. No lie they won't tell to hold their prestige and power at your expense. And that's what's been happening. So a really brutal takedown of Trump as a McCarthyist for, call, for calling the election rigged. And as I said, he's doing this because he's losing. This is what he always does. But, you know, partly I think he's such a narcissist, he's such a narcissist that the idea that he might be losing because he keeps stepping on his own foot. You know, well, first he shoots himself in the foot and then he steps on it, you know, steps on his foot. And then he puts his foot in his mouth with the bullet still in it, swallows the bullet and dies. And then he blames everybody else. But, but you know, this is... This is really bothering people on the right. And Jonah Goldberg, also a never-Trumper, he's arguing that Trump and Steve Bannon are, there's all this information that they are preparing to start their own TV network. And so what Goldberg says is that he's preparing the audience for this network. Here's Jonah Goldberg. Why is Trump constantly saying that if he loses, it will be because the election was rigged? Why is he wasting precious time attacking fellow Republicans, a move guaranteed to shrink his coalition even further? because he wants the faithful to be permanently alienated from the rest of the political culture and utterly reliant on him. In fairness, it's also because he can't tolerate the idea that people will reasonably conclude that he's a loser and a choker, so he has to lay the groundwork for the claim the other side cheated. But that narcissistic insecurity just makes him all the more susceptible to Steve Bannon's manipulation. He was such a Bannon puppet yesterday, you could almost see Bannon's fingers moving in the back of Trump's mouth. Okay. So all of all of this, I think, th these are not insane criticisms. I mean, I think this, these are things, you know, Trump is a guy who doesn't have a lot of self-control, doesn't have a lot of discipline, has an ego that really is a problem. I mean, it really is a, he has a diseased ego. And, but the, there is this other question. Is he right? You know, is, is the election in some sense rigged? And here's George Will, and I put forward George Will because George Will is also a never-Trumper who left the Republican Party because he just thinks that Trump doesn't represent anything that he believes. George Will is a long, long-time conservative. And, and he was asked by Brett Baer on Fox yesterday, is the election rigged? And here's his response. Well, when Mr. Trump talks about it being rigged, he sweeps all his grievances into one big puddle. He talks about the media. He talked about the primaries. He talked about the polls. talked about the Republican National Committee. I think when most Americans hear that an election's rigged, they think of government action to rig the election. And there, Mr. Trump has a point if he would just make it more clearly. It is hard to think of an innocent reason why Democrats spend so much time, energy, and money, scarce resources all, resisting attempts to purge the voter rolls, that is, to remove people who are dead or otherwise have left the jurisdiction. 
it's hard to think of an innocent reason why they fight so tremendously against voter ID laws. They say, well, that burdens the exercise of a fundamental right. The Supreme Court has said that travel is a fundamental right. No one thinks that showing an ID at the airport burdens that fundamental right. We know, we don't surmise, we know that the 2010, 12, and 14 elections were rigged by the most intrusive and potentially punitive institution of the federal government, the IRS. And, you know, as he goes on, as Will goes on to point out, and he cites our friend Kim Strassel's book, The Intimidation Game, you know, this is still going on. There's lots and lots of evidence that the IRS is still delaying giving nonprofit conservative groups their nonprofit status so they can get uh, tax-free donations. And, and this is happening also. We mentioned yesterday, I mentioned yesterday that Dennis, some of Dennis Prager's videos. I mean, come on, Dennis Prager, let's, let's, Dennis Prager is one of the most reasonable conservative voices out there. He's, he, you know, he tries to be an education, he tries to be educational, he just tries to put forward first principles. He talks about the Ten Commandments and the relationship. I, I said before that they were restricting his videos on YouTube. Now, they've now started banning his videos on YouTube. And it's it's just a little tiny, eensy-teensy-weensy bit suspicious that this is happening right now. Why is it that conservative voices get silenced? Why is Twitter banning Project Veritas? You know, all these things are, are happening just as this election is taking place. And why is it? Why is it that the left always wants silence? You know, why is it that we want more information out there? Because because our what we're saying makes sense, but the left just wants to shut the argument down. So they cheat. I mean, this is the thing. They cheat. That's what uh, Will is saying. That they cheat at a level that is has nothing to do with the way Republicans cheat. They don't do the same thing. They why don't they want you to have to show an ID? You know, they, they make it a racist thing because they make everything a racist thing. But come on, come on. We all have to show ID. You have to show ID to do everything in this country. You should have to show ID to, to vote. So now we find out more information from, from WikiLeaks and from also from an FBI release um, that the State Department was trying to deal with the FBI to stop them from classifying information, emails that Hillary Clinton sent so that it wouldn't look so bad. So the State Department, this is not Hillary Clinton, the State Department is trying to collude with the FBI. Here's from the Wall Street Journal. A State Department official in 2015 tried to keep the Federal Bureau of Investigation from marking a Hillary Clinton email as classified according to documents that reveal the extent to which officials sought to reduce the number of messages judged to contain national secrets. The move by the State Department, which came after questions were raised about Mrs. Clinton's use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State, focused on a single email about the probe into the 2012 attacks on U.S. outposts in Benghazi, Libya. And at one point, there was discussion between these, you know, should there be a quid pro quo? Can we get uh, more uh, permission? Will the State Department give permission for more FBI agents to go to Iraq? And in return, the FBI won't classify these emails. I mean, and, and look, we already know that the White House coordinated was part of her defense. We know that the White House, our White House that we pay for, the government that we pay for, was defending her as a candidate, which is not something we pay for. Uh, there are emails that show top Obama administration officials in close contact with Hillary Clinton at, at, just as her campaign was beginning, uh, trying to prevent the fallout from these this revelation of the service. So we know this government has been corrupted for political purposes. I have to stop here to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, which I wouldn't have to do if you just subscribe. Just subscribe and come over to The Daily Wire and watch the whole thing.
So now we have this Project Veritas release, which really is shocking. And of course, they're not, they're not co- the mainstream media is not covering it at all. And what they always say is that O'Keefe edits his, his tapes. But that's absurd. Every time O'Keefe has had to bring out all of his tapes, they've pretty much, they've pretty much backed up what he did. You know, when, when uh, Breitbart was alive, Breitbart used to release O'Keefe's videos, and Breitbart was such an expert at doing it that he would lead the mainstream media into saying, well, they're edited, and then he'd release the whole thing and prove that they weren't edited. O'Keefe is, nobody has the talent that Breitbart has for manipulating the media. So O'Keefe is, re- releases these things, and they make excuses about not covering them, but the videos show what the videos show, and they show that the Clinton campaign, people connected to the Clinton campaign, were instigating violence at Trump meetings. Now, before we get to that, I just want to show you, remember we were talking yesterday about this bombing in North Carolina of a Republican uh, headquarters, uh, Republican offices in North Carolina. Here's how NBC covered the violence that was committed against Republicans, okay? Here's our old friend Lester Holt from the debate. Listen to this report on this violence. Tonight, uh, police and federal agents are investigating the firebombing of a Republican Party office in North Carolina over the weekend as the tone of the presidential campaign becomes more divisive and even corrosive with just 22 days until the election. We get more on that from our justice correspondent, Pete Williams. Tensions have been rising all year in a campaign that's seen undertones of violence. The Wall Street Journal interviewed a Trump supporter last week in Ohio who said if Hillary Clinton is elected, she should be, quote, taken out. It sounds like you're saying that it would be acceptable to assassinate a president. If she's corrupt, why should she be able to stay in office? Answer that question. The Secret Service won't talk about specific cases, but says it investigates all credible threats. Al Baldessaro, a New Hampshire Trump supporter, says agents called him after he said Hillary Clinton should be tried for treason, convicted, and executed. On Sunday, an online appeal asked for donations to help Republicans reopen that firebombed office. The money was raised by a Massachusetts Democrat. I, I don't even know what to I'm speechless. I am speechless. I mean, an entire report on a bombing in a Republican office covering a couple of guys in the, who go to the Trump rallies who are not that, you know, not that smart, obviously, who are saying violent things. I mean, it's insane. It, that's that. Look, we know every single one of us knows when you file a report like that, a dishonest, corrupt, lying report like that, that it's an attack on us. It's not an attack on just Donald Trump. It's not an attack. It's on us. You're saying that anybody who thinks, doesn't think the way you in your sophisticated place, you know, your sophisticated ivory tower thinks is a dope who's just one with one of these people. Listen, let me tell you something. When there's 50,000 people in a stadium, you can always find a nut. You can always find a nut. And guess what? Guess where a lot of that violence is coming from? And guess who is instigating it? Yep. It is the left. It's the left. So James O'Keefe now releases these videos, his Project Veritas, where he they focus on a guy named Scott Foval, F-O-V-A-L. He is the national was the national field di- director for a nonprofit organization named Americans United for Change. Okay, and there's another there's another guy in here too. Foval was then fired when these tapes came out. I think I think he was fired yesterday, but. Let's start with the, the first one, which just shows them saying there is a direct connection between these nonprofit groups and the DNC and the Clinton campaign. It doesn't matter what the freaking legal and ethics people say. We're, we need to win this mother. Hillary like is aware of all the work that you guys do. I hope. 
The campaign is full of animals. And then they tell Hillary, like, what's going on. Well, I mean, Hillary knows who chain of command. Yeah. I'm not suggesting we wait around. We need to start this right away. Okay. On every one of these fronts. Okay. What I call this conflict engagement. Mm -hmm. That's that's your that's your version of reenfranchisement. Conflict engagement in in the lines at Trump rallies. We're starting anarchy here. He's setting anarchy. That's Scott, Scott Favall, another guy that's named Bob Creamer from another nonprofit organization. So what they're doing is they send people out. Some of the people they say that, they're, that they are sending out are mentally ill. They find mentally ill people to go out and instigate violence, to say terrible things. So here's a little bit more information of how they do this. There's a script. Oh, there is a script. There's a script. Okay. There's a script of engagement. Sometimes the crazies bite, and sometimes the crazies don't bite. They're starting confrontations in the line, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? They're not starting confrontations volunteers. in the rally, because once they're inside the rally, they're under Secret Service's control. When they're outside the rally... Mm -hmm. They're more effective out. They're harder to get in. The media will cover it no matter where it happens. I assume it's he always in the rally. initiating the conflict by having leading conversations with people who are naturally psychotic. Right. Okay, I mean, honestly, it is not hard to get some of these assholes to pop off. Right. It's, it's a matter of showing up to want to get into the rally in a Planned Parenthood t-shirt. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, Trump is a Nazi, you know, you can, you can message to draw them out mm -hmm. and draw them to punch you. Okay, now listen, you can argue that the guy who throws the punch, when you answer words with, you know, violence, it's on you, and I, I agree with that. But you didn't have to send the guy out there, isn't it? It's a kind of entrapment that they're doing, and, it, and it's despicable. I mean, let's just say it is despicable, and clearly, at least from these guys' point of view, I mean, obviously the Clinton campaign would deny it, but they don't have to deny it because the media doesn't cover it. So... The Clinton campaign or somebody associated with the Democrats goes out and instigates violence at Trump rallies. NBC covers that violence and then blames violence from the left, uh, you know, probably from the left, blames violence against Republicans on the Republicans. The IRS shuts people down. YouTube shuts people down. Twitter shuts people down. And you wonder why people are angry. And you wonder why Donald Trump goes out and says things are rigged and, and that resonates with people. And this is the stuff that I just feel like Brett Stevens and Jonah Goldberg, and, and I, I think I really respect Brett Stevens on the foreign policy. Jonah, I think, is one of the best political writers in the country, okay? I think he's a terrific writer. I think he has a real moral compass. I'm not, I'm not knocking what he's saying exactly. I'm just saying that he's missing this other side, that there is something here to be really angry about. Here, and here, just to take it to the comical level, you know, these WikiLeaks come out revealing all this, just, just this kind of crap in the in the Hillary Clinton campaign. You haven't got, there's no like real smoking gun in these WikiLeaks yet, but they do show collusion and they do show disdain for their supporters and they do show dishonesty. They show Hillary Clinton being dishonest. But you're not allowed, it's illegal to search them because Chris Cuomo of CNN has declared it, he, you may not know this, but CNN has actually acquired the right to pass laws on air, live. So you, this is this is democracy at work. You don't have to vote. You don't have to have representatives. Chris Cuomo can come on and pass laws simply by announcing them on CNN. Here's Chris Cuomo explaining to you that you're not allowed to search the Clinton emails. Also interesting is remember, it's illegal to possess 
uh, these stolen documents. It's different for the media. So everything you learn about this, you're learning from us. And in full disclosure, let's take a look at what is in there and what it means. I love it. I love it. It's different for us, folks. We're we're trained professionals, and we can we can filter this through. But don't you go looking at that yourself. No, 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 no. You know that's illegal. That's illegal. That's a CNN against the CNN law. You know that's what <laughs> what CNN does. We pass the laws, and then we look at the information for you. And look, <clears throat> so you know, I, I I agree. What Trump is doing, he's doing it for cynical reasons. He's doing it because he's losing. He's doing it because he's a narcissist. All true. That's all true. I, I really believe that. And is it destructive to the GOP? Yes, it is. On the other hand, if the GOP weren't tottering on the brink, teetering on the brink because it hadn't responded to the things that Trump represents, it wouldn't be in danger of disappearing. It's in danger of disappearing for a reason. Things don't disappear for no reason. The GOP is in danger of collapsing for a reason. You know, someone wrote to me the other day, there's a story in the Bible in which Balaam's uh, ass, you know, his, his mule, starts talking. And someone said, uh, I, I presume about Trump, uh, you know, maybe, maybe God is once again using an ass to, <laughs> to speak to us. You know? and, 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 you know, it, it's true that... What's happening in this country ain't right. It ain't right that conservatives can be silenced online, en masse, because, just because the people at, at YouTube, you, can, you know, yeah, you can say they have the right. This is a big, conf people get confused about this. They say Colin Kaepernick has the right to not salute the flag, but he's not right. YouTube is not right to do it. It ain't right that one half of the country is not being heard, is being silenced, that their principles can't get out there, that you, the, the left doesn't even know what our principles are. They don't even know who we are because they're not allowed to hear it because they're surrounded by their own media. They keep saying that we're surrounded by our own media. Oh, all they watch is Fox News. But let me tell you something. If you're a right winger, you know what the left believes because you go to the movies, you watch TV, you can't help hearing what they're, they're, what they're piping out there. The system is rigged in a lot of ways, not just by the media. The government has now become an instrument of itself, which is, of course, what the founders feared. The government has now become an instrument protecting itself and protecting its own power and protecting the party that protects its power. That's who the Democrats are. The Democrats are the party of more power for the government. And and Trump is an instrument of the rage people feel. He is a bad instrument. He is a, the wrong choice. I've said it from before the time he was nominated. I have never stopped saying it. He is a bad choice. But at least, at least, look, it looks like Hillary Clinton's going to win this thing. It looks like Hillary Clinton is going to win it. So shouldn't we be thinking down the road? Shouldn't we be thinking about what we have to do? And it's not silence these people. It's not alienate these people. It's listen to what they're saying and find a new response. Because guys like Paul Ryan, much as I admire much, much of what, is, what he's done, his approach especially to entitlements, I really respect. That was a courageous stance to take. But he's not hearing the anger and he's not thinking about why it's there, why it's there, why when they we saw them let Obama walk over them the way he did, that it was offensive to us, why we didn't feel like we were being heard. You know, it, it's too bad. It's too bad we chose the wrong instrument to announce our anger. But the anger is real and the anger is justified. And Trump, for all his cynicism, is right. The system is rigged against us, and we need to fix that. All right, let's talk about the culture. Well, you know, speaking of the rigged system, last night I went and saw a early screening of Mel Gibson's new movie. Now, Mel Gibson, you know, Roman Polanski drugged and sodomized a 13-year-old child and has been making movies ever since. And when he was recently arrested, people signed petitions 
you know, saying, oh, let him set him free. He's such a great artist. Set him free. Mel Gibson has made some of the greatest movies in American history. He's turned into some sensational performances. He got drunk and said nasty things. And he may be, look, to me, he looks like a damaged guy. He's obviously an alcoholic. I think he's admitted that. He looks like he's got a lot of anger in him and a lot an, a dark artist who ever heard of such a thing. But Mel Gibson, you know, I always joke that, you know, the Passion of the Christ was such a violent rendition of the crucifixion, which, of course, was a violent act, but he really showed it all. But I always joke that what happened to Jesus in that movie was nothing compared to what the critics did to Mel because they just beat the, the stuffing out of him, and they didn't do it because he doesn't like Jews, and they didn't do it because he's a drunk. They did it because he loves Jesus Christ, and he made a movie that people who love Jesus Christ would be inspired by. That's why they went after him. That is why. They went after C.S. Lewis. They tried to go after C.S. Lewis when the first Narnia pictures came out, but the Narnia pictures weren't as big a hit, so they, they kind of laid off. But they knew this was going to be big stuff, and they went after Gibson, and they got him. They drove him back to the bottle. He said stupid stuff. Too bad. He's now got a new movie out called Hacksaw Ridge. Sorry, Andrew Garfield, who was the amazing Spider-Man, I think. Isn't that, isn't that what he was? Yeah. Um, and Hacksaw Ridge is a true story. World War II, a guy's a conscientious objector, objector. He has promised God that he's never going to touch a gun. Here's a brief uh, sa sampler of the trailer. I always dreamed about being a doctor, but I uh, didn't get much school. I can't stay here while all them go fight for me. Don't you figure this war is just going to fit in with your ideas? While everybody else is taking life, I'm gonna be saving it. And that's gonna be my way to serve. This is a personal gift from the United States government designed to bring death to the enemy. Well, I'm sorry, Sergeant. I can't touch a gun. She don't kill. No, sir. You know, quite a bit of killing does occur in war. Private Doss does not believe in violence. Do not look to him to save you on the battlefield. I don't think this is a question of religion. I think this is cowardice. So this picture opens on November 4th, and I highly recommend it. I was completely swept away in it. I have to say the battle scenes, I will warn you, are as grim as any battle scenes I've ever seen. They are sort of taken from the, ever since Saving Private Ryan, Spielberg kind of changed the rules on how to film battle scenes. These are graphic beyond description and really tough to deal with, but extremely emotional. It's an extremely inspiring, true story about a man, uh, as you can see, who was called a coward, uh, and obviously was not, obviously was a man of religious conviction, and what happened to him, which is a story, a true story beyond belief. I highly recommend it. November 4th, Hacksaw Ridge by Mel Gibson. I hope it's his comeback. I think there will be some real movement in the Hollywood community to crush it. Um, I, people were saying last night that the screening is going to be nominated for an Academy Award. Maybe, but don't hold your breath. All right, stuff. Uh, Halloween stuff I like. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about comedy horror. And the reason I've been thinking about it is I've been thinking a lot about the tensions that create art. I was talking the other day about the tension between gameplay, you know, when you look at video games and storytelling. And one of the problems, one of the things that many, many video games are mired in is they, they can't find the balance. The more they try to tell stories, the duller the gameplay gets, the more exciting the gameplay, the more it's kind of like a Super Mario and that's all you get. And that's why I like that uh, game inside because by making the story super vague it allowed you to do really original gameplay and yet the vague story somehow still came to light so really interesting when you mix genres first of all people get their backs up I've done it I know you know people start to say well why you know is it, is it this or is it that 
Comedy versus horror, very tough. I picked three things that I really like. One is funny. The thing about comedy horror is it has to be scary. That's, that's the big trick. And it's it's hard to do. So I love the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror things that they do every Halloween. But they're not really scary. They are hilarious. Here's just a small sample. Chapter 8, Let's Talk Zombies. If a zombie bites you, you become a zombie. You must walk the earth feeding on the brains of the living until the spell is broken. Bart, please. Don't you remember that Snowball 1 died four years ago tonight? Run over by the mayor's beer-swilling brother, Clovis. Hey, maybe there's a spell in here that'll bring her back from the dead. Let's see what we've got. How to get your skeletons their whitest, selling your soul in a buyer's market. Ah, here we are. How to raise the dead. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line, selling your soul in a buyer's market. That's great. That's on every Halloween they do one, and it's always good. It's always entertaining. And, you know, it can be a little spooky, but they never really get scary, which is what I like. I like. So here's, of course, the famous one, probably the funniest uh, horror comedy ever made is Ghostbusters. And, of course, what we love about Ghostbusters is when you go back and look at it now, it's one of the most conservative films ever made. So here's the scene where the two Ghostbusters, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, get kicked out of Columbia, and they're reflecting on how they're going to how they're going to live outside of academia. It's a major disgrace. Forget MIT or Stanford now. They wouldn't touch us with a 10-meter cattle prod. You're always so concerned about your reputation. Einstein did his best stuff when he was working as a patent clerk. You know how much a patent clerk earns? No. Personally, I like the university. They gave us money and facilities. We didn't have to produce anything. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. <laughs> you, you know, we forget about this. And the evil, the villain in the piece is an EPA inspector. We forget how an incredible, what an incredibly conservative movie it is. That is is probably the best movie. However, however, the scariest, the movie that I think melds real, really scary stuff with real laughs is American Werewolf in London. It, if no, you know, people have forgotten this movie. It, it's probably the best werewolf movie made, except for the old Universal one. It's really frightening. I always like it because it's about two kids from my hometown of Great Neck. They grew up in yeah, two Jewish kids from Great Neck out in the moors of England, and they're walking in the moors of England, and they're incredibly realistic uh, characters. And suddenly, they hear a howl. Hey, wait a minute. We're lost. Oh, David, what is that? I don't know. Come on. Come on, where? Anywhere. I think we should just keep moving. It's moving. It's circling us. What's the plan? Plan? Let's just keep walking. Let's ride a lovely stroll on the moors. Tra-la-la-la-la. Isn't this fun? It's in front of us. You think it's a dog? Oh, sh- What is it? Yeah. It's a sheepdog or something. Come on, turn slowly. Let's walk away. 
<laughs> it's a really frightening movie. And have you seen this? Have you seen this? Oh, man, it's it's really scary. And it's David Naughton. It's the pinnacle of David Naughton's career. David Naughton, nobody now remembers. He was the Dr. Pepper guy. And he did this really famous Dr. Pepper commercial, I'm a Pepper, you're a Pepper. And he danced and he sang. And they gave him a part in this movie. I guess from that, I, I don't really know. And it was terrific. And that was kind of it. That was his career <laughs> as far as I can remember. Uh, but but it's a really, really frightening movie. If you're looking for a movie and haven't seen this for Halloween... This is a good one. It's lots of laughs, but it's genuinely, genuinely scary. All right. Mailbag day. Tomorrow, get your questions in. You know, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to walk through life like this. You don't. We will answer your questions for you. Just send them in to us here. You have to subscribe to do it. If you subscribe, you get my show. You get Ben's show. If you pay a little extra, Ben will actually sit outside your house and glower at your liberal relatives. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great deal. The whole thing is a great deal. All right. This is Andrew Clavin on The Andrew Clavin Show. We will see you again tomorrow.